Welcome back to the Stories from Retirement podcast. You're about to listen to a bonus clip on the life and career of Joel from Episode 3. Please enjoy, and if you have any feedback, as always, just drop me a line at storiesfromretirement at gmail.com. Cheers. Joel, thanks for, for reaching out on LinkedIn and um, expressing some interest in, and, and chatting. And uh, I've known you for, for quite a long time. I remember when I started at Microsoft, we were you know within an office of each other, and I was very green, and you were very gracious in helping me kind of understand the products. I remember you pointing me to directions on Microsoft and um, teaching me about the whole product set and sharing licensing and you know the business model uh, that, that Microsoft had put together at the time. I think we had just come out with the EA. But then you were also like very cautious and wise to say to me like that, this is not your job, Drew. I'm just teaching you the background so you know it. Your job is to, you know, help clients understand what and why and, uh, you know, how they would use the technology for their businesses. But uh, it was super valuable for me to have that grounding. And um, I've just always appreciated our first impression. Uh, My first impression of you is that you're, you know, you want to help people. Um, and you're definitely a team player. So um, I, I feel like we've always had a good, you know, like collegial relationship, but I haven't had really had a chance to get to know you. Um, I, I, don't, I don't even know if we've had a lunch together. But, you know, so <laughs> this would be kind of a fun way to spend some time together for sure. Well, thanks. No, I appreciate that. And I always felt that um, anyone who came to Microsoft, especially your background coming from Oracle, you wanted everyone to hit the ground running and be a successful uh, from right. day one as they were in their prior career. And I had so many new, you know, new guys that came on board that had the, you know, chomping at the bit. And, uh, you know, I just felt it was important to help everyone understand they got to take a step back because you're not going to, you're not going to be able to swallow the ocean in one gulp like that. And you There's were, a lot of you, were you were one of many. Uh, and, and Drew, I have to admit, I don't remember that. So thank you okay. for remembering that. Yeah. I mean, my first impression yeah, well. was, you know, sharp guy and, uh, you know, one of Fick's protégés. So, you know, anyone that Fick brought on automatically had uh, instant credibility in my mind. And, um, yeah, I mean, you were just one of those A-type personalities. I said, I want to make sure you get off to the right foot on the right start. And uh, it's so many, you know, Oracle, Microsoft, they're not easy companies to work for. And there's so much stuff that you have to navigate through, especially at Microsoft. And, you know, I just took it upon myself to help individuals like you who are coming in with that kind of A-type personality background. Just to that, That's temper, funny that you say an A-type personality. I, uh, I definitely don't consider myself an A. Um, but maybe I was at that time. I think I've just, uh, I've mellowed with age. My, my latest... Um, kind of statement about retirement is that I am I am slipping right into late 50s Greeks and the way they handle their lives. Well, but you know what? You're not giving yourself enough credit because, um, yeah. you know, when I say A, someone who is motivated to succeed and uh, had success. I remember you telling me one of the best things you've ever told me. We're having, uh, we had an outing and we were at, um, oh God, in Troy or Bloom. Anyways, we're at some event. After a mm-hmm. offsite, and you said to me, we're talking about kids, and you said to me, he goes, careful what you say to your kids, because they listen. They watch what you do, 
and right. uh, they follow your leads. And that was some great right. parenting advice that you provided me. I don't know if you remember that conversation, but it was just, you well, know, I, I, I I've been guilty of not. Yeah, you stole I stole that from, from a friend dad? of mine, George. <laughs> no, actually, uh, well, my dad's name is George, but also okay. my uh, second, uh, the second guy I interviewed on this podcast, George. He he gave me some advice that basically said, "Hey, you can you can lecture your kids and you can talk to them up to a certain point. Most kids, he he says, it's maybe ten, twelve, somewhere in that range. After that, they watch you more than they listen to you. They observe your behaviors. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I think that was um pretty sound advice because he there's two messages there one is you know the first 10 years are pretty critical in setting a foundation for your kids after that it's a very long time which is also foundational it's just who are you who are you you can't hide that from your kids right if you're a cheat or you're mean or you're lazy they're gonna see it plain as day you can't hide it so be good and you know what? I think we both ran just so hard in different directions a lot of times. That's why we probably never got a chance to do lunch. You know, my our regrets, but we'll have to make that up now that we're retired, Drew. So uh, uh, that sounds good. <laughs> so that sounds good. Uh, you know, my, well, why, why my, don't we? My background, I guess. You know what? I'm a yeah. I'm a home please. homegrown Michigan guy. I've lived in Michigan my whole life. Uh, grew up in, for the most part, Oak Park, Michigan, which is uh, uh, northwest suburbs. I would say I live in Detroit, but I'm uh, 20 miles away in the safe part of town. And uh, I do the same thing. I say I live in Detroit as well. Yeah. Um, had a great upbringing. I got two sisters. I'm in the middle. You know, one older, one younger. My uh, mom okay. and dad. My dad was an engineer at Chrysler General Dynamics for 40 years plus. So he set a, a pretty good work ethic. You know, didn't make a lot of money. But, uh, was he working in the uh, at the the tank facility there? He actually worked in the tank you say General plant. Dynamics. He was on the defense side. Yeah, he was on the defense side of Chrysler. Yeah. And when right, right, Iacocca right. Yeah. Okay. bailed them out, he uh, he sold that plant to uh, General Dynamics, and um, he okay. uh, had there forty four years. So you know, good strong work ethic, one company loyalty, and all that. He and my mom were married over fifty years before she passed. You know, so very stable upbringing, very stable family, um, which I am grateful for and very fortunate to have lived through. And um, um, I think that loyalty has uh, permeated throughout my life. I've got friends of mine I met growing up I'm still friends with. Uh, One of my oldest friends is um, known each other since we're eight, so 56 years. And we, you know, tell people that some some of my close friends to this day are guys that I grew up with in my neighborhood. You know, and um, that's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 very very good. I mean, I feel like I'm not worldly, but I am. But you know, there's loyalty <laughs> there too, and loyalty is a two way yeah. street. It's it's not it's not an entitlement. It's not a given. It's it's earned. You know, you, if you're a friend, yeah, you're you a have friend. to put the work in. Yeah, your 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 friends. Yeah. You know, your friends are loyal to an extent. And um, well, going back to an earlier conversation we had here on. Um, talking about the podcast you there's just a number of times where it came up where you also are the person that says you say yes right um you know it seems like when somebody asks you something it's not always i'm sure i don't i imagine you don't say yes to every loan request as part of the um uh philanthropy work you're going to talk about but you, you probably find your way to make it a yes as often as you can but no I, yeah no i try to it's um yeah you know so and, you know, whether that's in Loyola I was brought up with, but I went to graduate from Berkeley High, went to Michigan State, got okay. my, uh, lo- you know, and 
friends of mine went to Michigan. My good friends went to Michigan. Um, I decided to go to Michigan State. Met some great people there. Um, one roommate in particular lives in Bend, Oregon now, who is from Royal Oak. We're still good friends. Even though he lives thousands of miles away, we're still good friends to this day. Have you been out to Bend? I have. It's been a long time. But he lived in Dallas uh, after college. And, okay. Um, I, I hear I just, Bend is great. I've not been there. Bend is, um, if you you know, it's like a, um, they always attribute themselves to like an Aspen but not as expensive as Aspen. I think it's getting more expensive. But, uh, it's getting close, the, isn't it? Yeah. they got the mountains out there. The X team uh, used to train there. I think they they used to. I don't they know if they sunshine. still do. sunshine. Yeah, they have it all. It, I, have, I have a good buddy in Ash, Ashland, Oregon, but I uh, haven't made it up to Bend. Yeah, it's a beautiful country up there. I want to um, – but, you know, and I after graduation, I moved back home and uh, got a degree in accounting. My degree was in accounting, so I got a job in public accounting. And, uh, you know, I had my first – job was five two minutes from my house three miles from my house okay. so i never really expanded my horizons and in, 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 in uh, respect to moving but um you know i landed a, a good job out of college uh met my wife uh, a year after i graduated college who's we started dating a year after we ended up getting married six years later um stayed so in public how old were you when you got married i was 30 so we dated. Well, I was okay. twenty-three when we met. We dated six years. Got it was six years before we got engaged. So it was That's kind of late for our generation. Yeah, it was. It was. I always yeah. said, you know, I, I was kind of selfish. I don't want to be able to support myself before I decide to take another person out to support. And that's um, smart. You know, that's the advice my um, my father-in-law, who I never met, he he passed about three months before I I met my wife. Um, but he. He raised eight kids, and wow. he, he told his daughters in particular, make sure you're able to support yourself uh, before you get married. Just know that you have that ability to take care of yourself. You know, it's funny. No one gave me that advice. A lot of stuff I learned, I learned on my own, or my. I think I, I was teased, but my friends and I, we raised ourselves on the street. You know, the, we, we I grew up in the era of the 70s. So I graduated high school in 1976. So that was the era of, you know, post-Vietnam, you know, rock and roll, sex and drugs kind of stuff. My parents were depression era parents. And yeah. um, I, I don't really, you know, I to say oblivious is probably too harsh of a word, but I think they were oblivious to a lot of stuff that we did, you know, in, uh, in high school growing up. Um, drinking early, well, you know, was, experimental it drugs. It was free-range parenting. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and there was a big gap between, you know, their generation and our generation. My dad was a military veteran. He wasn't really pro-military, but my mom was from Canada. Um, and uh, here was a great friend. So I was going out every Friday and Saturday night, you know, what I call trumpet-nicking, which is just hanging around in the neighborhood. I had a paper route when I was 13, so I was kind of started working early, got a job. Me too. And, Free and press or the news? I had the news, the afternoon uh, delivery. I didn't want to get up in the morning, but... Uh, the same. I guess I haven't changed that much. <laughs> but I had a news, you know what, and that paper route, my first job, that was a lot of responsibility for a kid. I had to deliver those papers every day, so I rode to the, my station. It was in my subdivision, but it was about a half a mile ride. And my route was an apartment complex right up the street from my house. But well, that's easy work, Joel. Yeah, it was. An it was an easy. Complex. It was an easy route. It really was. You know, I regret that I, I had forty papers. <laughs> I should have taken the other half of the apartment complex. But you know, what can For you sure. do? Yeah. But 
it gave me responsibility. It was me. I had to pay. It was basically my business. They made me pay for the papers. I had to collect the money. And, um, you know, my uh, my customers on my I route. I think about collecting to this day from time to time. You, you <laughs> Do you? These, from your route? These folks that would have to scrounge in their back corners for their dollar and 15 cents and you're patiently waiting and then they're going to tell you these long stories and you're patiently I, listening and I had good customers it was I knew, wild I knew all my customers by their first name I'd go on Thursday nights and knock on their door and collect they knew me they I mean I never wrote anything down after like the first six months I am blessed to have a very good memory or cursed to have a very good memory and I remembered all my customers, uh, whenever they paid me, I had one that made me write something down. I always did. And they go, you're never wrong. I'm going to stop questioning you. I go, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, uh, you know, screw Sharp you or kid. anything. I learned a lot <clears throat> about customer service and, um, customer satisfaction in treating people right in that route, you know, and, and there was also kids my age in that, in that subdivision, uh, my two best friends, they had routes at the same time. I got them in, and our routes all ended in the same spot. So we would, like, you know, go and party after after we did our routes. And, and then I left that. I ended up working in a grocery store in high school for two okay. years. Uh, it was called Great Scott. That's out of business now, but it was equivalent to what Kroger's I is today. I remember Great Scott. Do you? Yeah, and so I was a— uh, Yeah, sure. And Farmer Jacks. Farmer Jacks, yeah. A Chatham. Mm-hmm. I, was the, yeah. I was a bag boy, a packer. So I would pack bags, and our grocery, our cashiers had to ring it up on the old, like, uh, keyboard. You know, it wasn't today like they scan it. They had to actually ring the numbers up. And I was in a union. I made time and a half on sun, double time on Sundays and triple time on holidays. I was getting paid, like, $2.85 as a 15-, 16-year-old in high school. I was making 50 bucks a week. I was making good Living money. Living the life. That's pretty good. That's so I, good. I've been self-sufficient. That's why I say my, we raised ourselves on the street. I've been self-sufficient since I was like 13, which is good because my, you know, my dad and mom they 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 were definitely good providers, but we never did anything luxurious. So if I wanted something right. on my own, I bought a. I remember buying a 10-speed with my own money there, and uh, uh, going on a vacation when I was 17. Me and three good buddies we drove down to Florida our senior year in high school. Uh, for a two-week trip in Miami Beach. 17 years old, we drove one of my friend's mom's Oldsmobile 98 down from Detroit to Florida. You know, I couldn't imagine letting my daughter, my daughter's 23, I couldn't imagine letting her do that today, even though she well, would do it, it. It's funny you say that, because I was the youngest, and I was by far the most trouble of all my siblings. And my parents let me take their Chevy Citation with my three buddies down to Fort Lauderdale for spring break. And oh, my wow. sister is still pissed off because <laughs> she was not allowed to do anything like that. I don't know how I got away with it. But, um, I asked. I asked, and the answer was yes. Um, but, yeah, that's, it's, it's funny how um, – our lives mirrored in a lot of ways there. It, it it was really nice as a young person to not only work, but to have a little bit of money and um, learn and interact outside of school. The school teaches you a little bit, but I always feel like the job teaches you so much more. Well, yeah, I was also active with a youth group in um, high school. It was called okay. Bene Brith Youth which is you'll laugh, but it's a, uh, it's a youth group designed to offer uh, Jewish kids in the community. And it's uh, sort of like, for lack of a better term, like a fraternity pre, pre-college. 
And there's okay. chapters involved. Every chapter ran by Robert Rules of Orders with elected uh, officers. And we had social events. There was a boys and a girls section, PBG and AZA, and the boys is AZA. So there was um, chances to have sporting events. We played football against other AZA teams or basketball. We had parties with the BBGs. There was conventions. So it was a, a nice social outlet outside of high school in addition to what you had in high school. I probably wasn't as friendly with kids. Our, my high school came from two different cities, um, basically Oak Park, Huntington Woods, and Berkeley. And back in the mid-'70s, Berkeley and Oak Park, Huntington Woods were as opposite as you could be. It was okay. it was two separate cultures merging together into a high right. school, which was kind of an interesting experiment if you look at, you know. Some uh, tension there? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the Berkeley yeah. kids didn't really like – the Berkeley kids were – you know, kind of, um, you know, blue-collar families. And the Oak Park Huntington Woods kids were white-collar, you know, professional families. Okay. And, you know, it was kind of an interesting mix at that point. And now, now that kind of uh, culture norm doesn't exist, but it did, you know, 45 years ago. You know, so B'nai B'rith was an outlet, and I got very active in it. I actually, my senior year, I was president of my chapter. So it developed leadership skills, social skills. Um, so I went into college with a lot of um a lot more confidence. You know, I was living on my own. I never went to camp away from camp, so it was the first time living away from home. But I kind of thrived at Michigan State. I met people. For I, you. you know, it was my yeah, grades. You. Did, you, did you finish in four years? Uh, four years and an extra term. So I an actually stayed term. two extra okay. terms. So I graduated. In, and did you pay for it yourself or your parents help you out? Or did you take some loans? How did you do that? My parents paid for all my tuition after my okay. after my Starting my junior year, they said, you'll pay for your rent, room and board, and entertainment on your own. So I had good jobs in the summer. I'd always come home and get good jobs in the summer. And um, I actually did take out a $5,000 loan. And I had a roommate who was an entrepreneur. He was basically in a distribution business, reseller distribution business of uh, unknown origins, of known substances. But I was able to get a little bit (laughs) of a... A little bit of a um, a kicker from some of the uh, uh, nice. clients I turned them on to. Um, so it was, okay. I lived in a house with four other guys. Um, we, we still to this day, the address was 642 Virginia. We called ourselves the 642 Wrecking Crew. <laughs> and, uh, instead of Heckler, a lot of guys called me Reckler, so it was the Wrecking Crew. So uh, it was me and this other guy who lives in Bend now. We were kind of the ringleaders of the five of us. Three other guys just kind of went along. Good guys along for the ride but um yeah i i, I was interested my grade was about 275 because i spent too much time partying it at the bars and when i graduated college i passed my cpa exam in two sittings which um good for you which was a real hard it's a real hard exam and the average the average time to pass was typically four to five sittings at the time and because uh, four parts guys so would take you one learned part. the you learned the core concepts well, I, I studied my ass off for this test, and I always teased okay. myself. If I studied as hard in college as I did for the CPA exam, <laughs> who knows where I would what would have happened or where I would have been. But I, I really had no yeah. regrets because I got a well-rounded – I got a good education, yeah. both – You know, you have friends to this day. Yeah, socially and um, – And some nicknames. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Sweeney, Blitz, Piper, Story. I mean, it, you know, I – 
great experiences. You know, and to this day, Rosh, I think my time at Michigan State was, was only four and a half years. was still some of the best four and a half years of my life. I look back and it goes a real short window. And uh, when my daughter went to college, I said, cherish this time because it's the only time that you'll have where it's you and your peers in this kind of setting. It's not reality because you're not with kids, young kids. You're not with adults other than your profs. You know, it's college is interesting because, you know, it's a it's bubble. It's an amazing setting. It is a great little bubble. It's hard for a lot of people. I, I know I, I struggled with it a bit. I've known quite a few other people that struggled with it. Maybe some people it was a grind. Uh, other people were maybe more introverted, this or that. But I'm I'm glad it was such a great experience for you. Um, and I, I think um, schools are trying these days, from what I hear anyways, to 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 identify students that are maybe not clicking their way right through it and helping them through it. But it it's uh, it can be tough. Oh yeah, tough for sure. And I think it's harder these days to just work your summers and pay for things. But um, where'd you go to college? Payoffs through? there. Where'd you go? Uh, you know, I went to I went to state, um, and then I also went to Michigan. Okay. And it took it took me nine years. I went into the army in between, so I I needed a reset. And so, yeah, I went into active duty and I got money for school and all of that. But it was a grind for me coming back, too, because I, you know, I did an engineering program. And when I came back, I was still in some of the weeder classes. And my God, I remember, I just remember the math and the problems and the tests and the work and the labs. It was a killer after taking three years off in the service to jump right back in with these young kids. I I, I still to this day can't believe I, I managed to do it. Well, I but, didn't know you were in military service. That's pretty cool. I have a lot of respect. Yeah, it, was, it was. A lot of respect, you know, considering the um, Jewish War Veterans Group I'm working with. It gives me a whole different yeah. perspective on uh, on dealing with military. And uh, there's a guy in my group who's my age who went to Michigan State, but he went to he went to service first, did his four years, and then he had the uh, GI Bill pay for most of his college. Right. Most of uh, the school, yeah. yeah. Well, once again, I, I'll consider myself fortunate, Drew, and it wasn't just me driving it. I had peers, too, and there was a little bit of peer pressure. My my buddies I grew up with, you know, we were kind of all in it together, and, you know, I had a bunch of guys I grew up they with. They were all doing well and yeah, yeah, but pushing each other in a positive way. Not all of us, because not all of us went to college. Like, one of my best friends, neighbor who lived across the street from me, um, he ended up not going to college. He tried it for a term. School wasn't for him. He ended up becoming a florist. He actually, to this day, I don't even talk to him anymore. Unfortunately, he he we went separate ways, yeah. And um, you know, but it was more his choice of mine. He came out of the closet as gay after college, after high school. I had no problem with that, but I think he did, and he just kind of started pu- pulling away from us. Um, a couple other guys, you know, that I was close with in B'nai B'rith that decided not to go to college, or they didn't go away to school like what we did. So I was once again fortunate. You know, my parents supported me, and um, it was really, but I put the pressure on myself to succeed. You know, I, like I said, my grades weren't that good, but I persevered. I kept grinding through and said, okay, I'm going to do it in four years. And my calculus was, what degree can I get that's going to give me a job after four years? And I, and I thought there was three. One was engineering. I didn't want to do that because my dad was okay. an engineer. One was advertising, and my older sister graduated with advertising, so I didn't want to do that. And the third one was accounting. I can get an accounting degree after four years. 
become that. become an accountant and get, get a, a real job. job that paid pretty decent. If I didn't like it, I, I felt that accounting background. Yeah, I wanted to go to law school, but when I re- realized how much you had to read in law school, I go, eh, I don't want to do that. I mean, I <laughs> pay attention to detail. I mean, I played a lawyer at Microsoft for 20 years, but I didn't want to go to law, law sure school. You did. Um, right. But I, I that was okay. my calculus. It was like, um, and, and you know, when I did it, I was probably thinking more short-term than long-term. I think I had a little bit of a long-term view, but it was more short-term focused. And my thinking was, yeah, if I don't like it, I can, you know, counting numbers, uh, business, I can get into a variety of other other. I vocations. think that's so practical and smart. If, if I could, I'd, I'd share a story with you. So um, this was at Microsoft um, pretty early in my career there. I was in Chicago with with three other people and we jumped in a cab back in it was pre-uber right so jumped in a cab it's a full car so i sat up front and um we had we had been partying and the car was rowdy and i could tell the driver was a little nervous so i just started chatting with him a little bit and he was he was a a a small african man and and just started chatting back and forth and i could tell he wanted to practice his english and i ended up long story short talking to him he's from Eritrea which is on the border of Somalia and he told me like he was separated from his family for eight years in different camps like war camps and I think the United Nations or some group helped him reconnect with his family he hadn't seen his kids in eight years oh wow right? living in a tent for that long wow and they were managed to get him back to the United States so he's driving this cab he's made it out of you know war-torn Africa makes it into the United States and he he lights up and he tells me my daughter's going to school I'm like oh cool what's she studying biggest smile on his face accounting really you, you can can you imagine <laughs> her you know taking a degree like oh I don't know um French poetry or some of these ridiculous degrees that they have or she took a practical degree it's going to help support her family and support herself and the pride in her father's face I'll never forget that story I tell that sometimes to young to young people that aren't as practical as you and they're going into school and they don't know what to do you know you're going to learn all your life you have time to study all sorts of things and get into all sorts of areas get something that's going to get you a job so you can take care of yourself in your 20s and then figure it out from there yeah I, so smart thank you i mean my daughter did psychology but you know fortunately i'm in a way different position than my parents were you know so right. i can i knew it was going to be a longer term for her but i true right. i needed a job out of college i knew that i have friends whose parents had businesses that other, other buddies were going to med school i knew i couldn't cut med school i wasn't even going to tr- go there uh thinking law school and even with a accounting degree i said i can always go to law school i could take the lsat and go there i'm not going to take political science etc so like i say it was a calculus decision and um, smart one thank you it was smart one for sure maybe yeah. dumb luck but it was funny because i was in accounting so my housemate said all right well if you're an, you're the accountant you're going to pay all the house bills so i had the responsibilities <laughs> you no know, everyone everyone gave me money it's not that i had to pay for it but i'm right. the one who said all right jeff you owe me this and jeff you owe me that and my you know it's like i, I was the one who paid the electric bills paid make sure the rent got paid paid the phone bill um everyone trusted me so I established a, a trustful type relationship, I guess, early, and responsibility as well. I mean, you're 20 years old. I take responsibility for managing the household, not that, you know, but I'm the one who said, okay, you guys, so, I'll pay the bills, and you just give me the money. 
you know so so um this this brings me i've got i've got a question on my list right emily and uh it feels like a good time to ask you this because i'd like to have you take us through your career as well but do you do you feel like at this point, if you look backwards, that you had like kind of a personal philosophy in how you conducted business or conducted yourself with others? You know, I've always said integrity, and I probably didn't have this kind of feeling when I was in my 20s telling you the story I just told you, uh, yeah. but I probably acted as such. I always said integrity is the one thing that no one can take away from you, and I'd rather tell the truth and lose a deal than lie to get one. And uh, I, I kind of try to live by that creed, try to keep a high level of ethics and moral, moral, moral fiber, and uh, treat people the way I want to be treated. You know, I, obviously it's not always going to be 100%, but, you know, if I can get that, you know, 85 90% of the time, because I, I do, I'll, I'll get mad at people and uh, have a little bit of a temper at times. But, you know, those are the, you know, if you ask me what's the kind of, creed I try to live by that's that's the moral compass and I said you know I, I wouldn't have developed those levels of trust if I didn't have that level of integrity because here are my roommates paying me my bills and I could have said oh, I'm going to pay I'm going to basically take advantage of this and get it for free right. and have you guys Ponzi cover scheme, me if you're not right. going to yeah. if you're not going to like uh, uh, audit my numbers um, but I, I, I've never felt comfortable doing that you know it's like you know, it's not worth it. It's so important to have that as your foundation. I think, you know, like I've, uh, I didn't get a business degree, but I've, I've tried all my life to make up for my, my narrow education. And one of the things I did for from a business degree standpoint is I read all the annual letters from Berkshire Hathaway. Oh, wow. I got a book that started from 1964 and went forward. It's amazing. One of the recurring themes in those annual letters, once you read one, they, they do get a little repetitive, but one of the recurring themes in there is how often, you know, Warren and Charlie Munger, they call out, you know, the lack of ethics in the high, at the high level business over and over and over again. People are cheating. People are, you know, taking shortcuts and uh, they, I, you know, I think they've set an example of that. You don't have to do that. Interesting. You know what? I always you, felt you can be smart and shrewd. I always felt that kind of philosophy hurt me at Microsoft. Because there's, I can't yeah. tell you how many conversations Patty and I had when she said, "Would you rather be right or liked?" I go, "God, Patty, what do you mean?" She goes, "You just got to do things that people want you to do, even if you don't want to do it." I said, "I just have a, I really had a problem with that, Drew." Yeah, <laughs> and it kind, right. of, kind of goes back to, you know, what I've said. I always want to do the right thing. I always said, you know what, Microsoft. It's going to be a win-win. I always want to go for that win-win solution as long as Microsoft gets 51% of that win, you know, if someone's <laughs> trying to screw me. But yeah. then again, if I had a, a rep, you know, trying to cut corners or do things that were, in my mind, questionable, I, I, I would have an issue with that. It's, you know, we can't really That's do it that job. way, but, you know, maybe job, we right? could do yeah. it this way. But there's a lot of people, I can't tell you, that got – you were you were probably sitting in more of those management meetings than I was, but uh, where Patty had to defend me because people were like saying, "Oh, well, he's not a team player. He won't do this. He won't do that. He won't he won't do this for us." And it's like, I did always had your back. You know, I know that. Always. I know that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, and maybe you heard those and you were questioning why. But it's just that what's been ingrained in me my whole life is that you know that do the right thing. 
and, and even at this day, it still gets me when, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing. You know, I live beyond, below my means. I'm not going on and buying a house that I can't afford that, oh, well, if right. I can't pay for it, it'll just be for clothes and screw it. The government won't pay for it. You know, I kind of, <laughs> you know, you learn it at an early age. You just can't, it's hard to shake it out of your system, I guess. But um, yeah, it's great. But, I think it's really the um, the only way to live. Well, 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 thanks for sharing that. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that philosophy and approach um why, why don't we why don't we move on a little bit tell us tell us a little bit about your career so, so um so you, you passed the cpa exam so i sat do do? so i sat in public account i worked for a small local firm and a real good friend okay. who worked for at the time was the big eight he worked for the big eight i worked for the little ten thousand. i called it and um <laughs> We were making about the same amount of money. I was getting more involved in my clients than he was because we were a small I bet firm. You were. And uh, but the firm had a philosophy. It was like two years and out. It's like we'll find a, a younger guy cheaper that we could bring on board. And I was getting a little disenchanted with with the firm. And uh, I had an acquaintance who was working for this um, this company. I shared it with you a little bit before. It's called Dynatax. What Dynatax does was. Um, computerized tax business processing like what ADP does for payroll today but this was back in 1983 so it was a mainframe computer system IBM mainframe key punched in the data sent it overnight printed out tax returns at the time it was cutting edge it gave CPAs an ability to do tax returns via computer instead of the other alternative at that time was manually and this um, so this was like an early TurboTax very very yeah TurboTax is yeah, today what it's it was back then what TurboTax is today. And this friend of mine was a sales guy, a couple years older than me, but he's driving a Corvette, wearing fancy suits, you know. He gave the impression that he was doing real well. And I talked to him and said, Scott, you know, I'm I'm a CPA too, or you guys hiring? He goes, Hey, we're looking for someone like you. I I left public accounting. They actually asked me to leave at the end of a tax season, and I had been interviewing with Dynatax. I was a little proactive. Got a job with them, and once again, my calculus here, Drew, was, and I've always been kind of um, thoughtful, plotting in terms of my next steps, so it was like, okay, I want to do something with taxes, because that was what I liked in accounting. I wanted to try to get into sales in the future, and computers were just starting out, and I knew that computers were kind of like the uh, advent of the future, and the firm I was with actually split up because one of the offices or two offices one office bought an IBM PC back in 1982 you know remember the Charlie Chaplin IBM PC commercials I you do. bought one yeah. it was almost like, like the XT model yeah it was no it's a dual floppy it was the first IBM okay. PC it was sort of like you know the okay. the dawning of the age of Aquarius or 2001 space oddity <laughs> you know the computer had its own room it's like oh my god the computer room it's like you know you walked in expected this like music to come in and it's like you know you had this big ass uh, Lotus spreadsheet uh, across the whole wall, you know, like, uh, so it was very intimidating. Lotus was amazing. Yeah. Great piece of software. So I got into Dynatax as a 25-year-old kid, and my clients would have been my bosses. And two years later, I got into sales. This guy that my acquaintance, Scott, left Dynatax, and I replaced him. And I had the Tri-County Territory as my sales territory, Oakland, Wayne, and Macomb okay. County. And I spent the next five so years. So who, who are you selling to? Small businesses? C- or CPA firms. CPA firms. CPA firms. So okay. Cooper's and Libran was my account. I had some okay. of the biggest accounts in the area. Um, 
Cooper's was my biggest. Dor Mayhew, that's still around today. A, a big company called Zelenko and Morav Sheplow. So were you both the account executive and the systems engineer that demoed the software? I was the sales manager, sales rep. Yeah, and we had, Dynatex had a really good selling philosophy. They used the Xerox professional sales skill. It was more consultative. You asked questions. It was we had a book that we walked the client through a demo book. And when they got to keep it, we did demo te- test returns for them. It was very hands-on, customer service oriented. And then okay. during t- tax season, I kind of transitioned from a sales rep into a customer service rep. So I was on the phone answering calls that my clients were calling and saying, hey, how do I, what I need to do to enter it on your forms to get this as my output kind of thing. And we did training sessions at the beginning of tax season. So I was kind of on stage. Sounds like an early CSU. Yeah, and it was it was well rounded, you know, and it was twenty year old kids managing the whole process. So my data center manager was a guy in his late twenties. Our operations manager was a guy in his twenties. We employed hundred and twenty housewives part time to key punch during tax season. Uh, we were one of twenty five data centers and the one in Detroit which was across the street from the Burroughs plant in Plymouth. And okay. uh, I know that Vic and Andy and Grant all worked at that Burroughs plant right at Haggerty and Plymouth Road. We had a small data center there. We were one of 25 data centers in the country. We were the third largest behind New York and uh, I think Boston. We were head of Chicago. We did like 80,000 tax returns uh, a year out of that data center. It was a great That's job. super I was, impressive. I was making, as a 26, 27-year-old, I was making $80,000 a year. My peers were making really back then. My peers were making thirty five forty, and then the tax season eighty nine. I got married in nineteen eighty eight at that time, and then the tax season of nineteen eighty nine. We decided to do a conversion. This is a life lesson too. So we converted from the okay. IBM mainframe to a Novell Netware. We gave ourselves yes. six months to convert. And the data, you, you're an IT guy, so you can imagine the amount of data you had to convert. You had to convert IRS and state programs for individual tax returns, partnership, state, you know, corporation, all 50 states. We gave ourselves six months to write that conversion. You know, the 1989 tax season started and we shit the bed. Oh, it was horrible. I mean, we our output was like, you know, we were doing a, a Schedule A was showing up on a moving expense form. Clients left us left and right. We basically were out of business within seven months. And here I was, this cocky kid. I was making 80 grand a year. I didn't have a job. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm in sales. I can do anything. And I was getting job offers for 50, 60. And, oh, it's not enough money. And... Um, you know, I actually floundered. I went through like seven jobs over the next four and a half years uh, before I finally landed at a, a Microsoft partner cor- called Corporate Software. Corporate Software is, was so a those were some tough seller. years. Oh yeah, Did you was, doubt yourself at all? Oh, or? big time, big time. You know, yeah. I uh, I took a job with uh, a recruiter for like six months, Robert Half, and it was oh, the worst job in the world. Ugh, it was horrible. I hated even going to the job, and I regretted why did I. Uh, I actually went from Dontex to one of our competitors that bought us, and they tried to stiff me on like ten grand. So I like took this job at Robert Half, and you know, kind of that that decision still haunts me to this day. And, and sometimes they go, oh, I should have just stayed there. I should have went to ADP, and so I ended up going to corporate software for four and a half years. And they were a reseller of Microsoft. That's where I learned licensing. So this this reseller was a licensing. It's like we were manufacturers rep for. Um, uh, OEM publishers. So we sold Microsoft licensing, right. Lotus, 
McAfee, we had about 150 different titles. And I, and I kind of, the that guy hired me, uh, saw something That's in me. That's a great job. Yeah, got, and I didn't know about this this industry at all. This guy, a recruiter turned me on to it, corporate software. He says, yeah, you sell licenses for Microsoft. The guy who hired me, a guy named Steve Geese, he saw something in me. I kind of doubted myself. I said at the end, I go, after Steve hired me, I go, I, I'm not going to take this job, Steve. He goes, no, you are. I'm not taking no for an answer. You're, you're starting on this day. I'll see you in the office. You're picking me up at the airport. I go, but, but, Steve. He goes, no, buts. He goes, I'll see you at the airport on this date at this time. Okay? Get Everybody me. needs a, was it Steve Goss? Is that Steve Geesey. Steve Geesey. Yeah. Steve Geesey. Everybody needs a Steve Geesey at some point in their career. He basically. Somebody believes in him. You know, there's this whole talk about, like, the imposter syndrome, and it's a real thing, without a doubt. But at some point when you hire somebody, if you do a great job, you see what they'll become, not what they are. Right? And so... Uh, Credit to Steve on that, right? He, to this day, I mean, we don't, we talked about a year ago. He tried to, um, he's been COOs and COOs of multiple different companies after he left corporate software. I'm still friends with him on LinkedIn. And he reached out to me a year ago and he goes, hey, I'm working for this vitamin company. You know, where they do capsule packs of vitamins. He goes, I've been a consultant. He goes, but it's really taken off. I'm looking for a guy to work part-time. He goes, I thought of you, you know, you work with your, and he goes, it's only two days a week, we'll work with you, and, you know, you could work with our Walgreens and our CVSs and our Walmarts, and you sell the stuff. And I'm thinking, he goes, are, he goes, are you interested? At first I was, I thought about it. I go, you know what? It's not a part-time job, not a two-day-a-week job. You, you're either in or you're not. You can't work with right. big companies like that. Right. I, and yeah. I just called Steve. You know, back. account management. It's a hard job. Yeah, for, for people out there that haven't sold before, I did it just for a year in my career, and it was brutal. Well, you know, I, so I really, hard. really appreciated him thinking of me at the time. This is after we hadn't we been connected on LinkedIn, but we hadn't spoken in a long time. We had a great conversation. I said, Steve, I, you know, this is two years in retirement. I got. I'm just not going to do it. I can't. I can't do it justice. If I got to do it, I'm going to do it all. Right. Um, but he saw something in me. It was great. And corporate software basically reset my career in an upward trajectory. I had a lot of success there in five years. I went on a lot of trips. You know, it was, this was back in the day where the publishers rewarded his resale reps by sending us on trips. I went to the NBA All-Star game one time. I took my cousin there. I did uh, Casa de Campo, Cancun, um, Cayman Islands, Disneyland several times, um, did a cruise, met some great people in the industry that I'm ended up still friends with to this day that, you know, actually a lot of them morphed into Microsoft. Dow- yeah, those company reward trips are special uh, memories, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, yeah you know, and, great. Um, I mean, there's still, I took one of my good friends, this guy that I've known since I was eight years old, I took him to a Disneyland one time because my wife couldn't get time off of work. And we just talked about it a couple of weeks ago, you know, 25 years yeah. later. But um, I took my sister to Rome. It was so fun. Yeah, you know, it's you, you know, know we, I took my cousin to yeah. the All Star Game NBA, and he still we he still brings that up. He goes, "That was a great right. trip," and um, right. he enjoyed it. But Dow Chemical was one of my big accounts at corporate software, and this Microsoft rep named Patty happened to be the Microsoft account manager. Okay, and. Um, we we tried to Patty had Dow. We tried to do this deal at the end of 
June, and I came up with a creative deal to do, and Patty took it to her business desk, and they rejected it because it was like, nah, their their year doesn't end now, so we're going to do it on. And Patty loved what I did. She goes, you know what? You need to be my license executive. You need to be my LE. What do you mean, Patty? She goes, you need to be the business desk here in Detroit. We're hiring one. She goes, I want you to apply. I'm fighting for you to have the job. She She's the one who got me into Microsoft. So I applied, got hired. I started in October of 99 as an LE. So I managed the business desk. and the, Love it. The, so it was that, that creative thinking and deal-making you put together. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Patty was... Patty was Patty. She always had been. She took a liking to me, and uh, you can't have a stronger backer, at, you know, She's here incredible. locally than than Patty. So if she likes you. How she'll many fight for billions you. of dollars of business has Patty done for for Microsoft? Probably more than twenty. You know, uh, I, I was probably involved. I was involved in a lot of those billions too. I think so. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, probably over twenty. So. Um, you know, it was interesting. The business desk role, I had more power in my hands than as a general manager. I was empowered to give away more than John was. And he was three levels above me. So once again, I had a little bit of a conundrum. You know, it's like, do you go for the power trip? You know, it's like, well, it's my way or the highway. <laughs> or you go to build consensus to say, listen, let's we're in this together. Let's try to do the right, right. thing. And I kind of took the latter That's approach. because, yeah, right. I mean, a lot that, of peers. That would be tricky. A lot of peers that were drunk with power. And, um, you know, the, the couple times I tried to use, well, I'm the LA, it's my thing. It got me in trouble because my management didn't have my back the way the Patty had my back. My business desk management was, was really poor at Microsoft. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to put you in the field. You're the ones who have to support our policies. But if it's between you and your managers, oh, we're going to side with your managers. We're going to hang you to dry. It's like, really? So I got out of that job after four years, after we did some good deals with Ford, after we did some good deals with Procter & Campbell. Patty and I closed the first EA at Ford after Linda, GM. I remember closing a deal trying to close a big EA with GM uh, right around 9-11. Mm. You know, because the anniversary was yesterday. We closed right. it 10 days later on 9-21. Wow. wow. You know, which was like an amazing It must have been a good win-win deal because I remember that time. Oh, it was and, horrible. Uh, yeah. I was actually, this is much smaller. I was just buying a car at that time. I was about to buy a car and. And everything was, you were questioning absolutely everything. Oh, it was horrible. Um, horrible. I mean, it, yeah. it was, but we did it. And uh, so I was doing good. I had good accolades. But once again, I realized my management didn't have my back. And um, just an interesting story of letting, you know, going, just because you know this person, but, how, you know, how I look out for others, because others looked out for me at times, too. I had Geese, I had Patty, kind of, you know, pay it forward. I met this one uh, uh, guy from Bank of America. We negotiated an agreement together, and the guy was very cool to work with. He was one of the first guys I met. He was always very open. You know, hey, come on, you know, let's go golfing. Let's, you know, you're a good guy. Yeah, I'm a good guy. Let's let's do this. And Eric was uh, probably about ten years younger than I was. And when we did this deal together, I go, here's a guy that could be a 
LE. He's he's got it. He's got you need his sales skills, you need a negotiation tactic, you need a financial tactic. I mean there's a lot of skills that you needed to do that LE job. It wasn't just, you know, oh you have to be a lawyer and no terms and conditions. You have to know the art of the deal, the psychology of your buyer, psychology of your of your teammates. You know, I don't think we were given enough credit for what we did, but it was balancing a lot of different. It's also kinds just of like skills. an energy level in that whole group. Yeah. You know that energy level to get things done, and to oh and yeah work through stuff and grit and yeah, Eric definitely brings that. So, so I'm I'm glad you're bringing this up because it feels like you you've uh, drawn the line from Steve to Patty to yourself, and now this is your. This is your protege. You're paying forward, right? So I remember uh, having a conversation with uh, Eric because one of my peers left, and he was managing the um, Mid-America District, which was St. Louis and Minnesota, based out of Minnesota or St. Louis. And I said to Eric, I go, you know, have you ever thought of doing my job? He goes, yeah, I have. He goes, thanks for thinking of me. I go, well, would you be interested in, in my job? There's an opening in St. Louis or Minnesota. He goes, well, yeah, I am interested. But he goes, I want your job. Like, what do you mean you want my job? I have my job. He goes, I know, but I want your job. I want to be in Detroit because my wife's from Detroit. I want to be in there. And and that just stuck in the back of my head. And like a year and a half later when I decided to leave the business desk, uh, and and I left for a real bad job. I left to become a manager of resellers because when I was a reseller, the guy who managed the reseller was doing all this cool shit. And I thought I could do the same stuff. So I remember calling Eric and saying, I'm leaving. Like, you want me to put your name in the head? He goes, absolutely. What I didn't know at the time was the day I called him happened to be his wife Rose's birthday. And Rose's father had just passed away like a few months earlier. And Rose was bemoaning the fact that she missed her family and wanted to be close to her mom after her dad's death. And I happened to call her on her birthday. And she reminds me at least once or twice a year that she calls me her angel. She goes, you were my angel. You called on my birthday and told my husband good that you had a job for him. I go, yeah. Rose, you're giving me too much credit. I go, you know, your <laughs> husband did this, not me. She goes, oh, no, you did it. So, yeah. so it's kind of kind of good. So I, I like how, though, when you go through your career, like that's an important moment for you. What? That Eric story or that, the Patty? The Eric story. I like that. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a nice feeling to think back about, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, Eric and I, are, I we're, we're I friends to this day. It's like we were friends yeah. to begin with, but we we became friends. He lives a mile from me, as a matter of fact, but he's ingrained himself in the community. Pre- pretty pretty good, Drew. And you know Eric. You know the kind of guy he is because you were close I with do. him, and he holds you. I told him, I talked to him the other day. I told him you and I spoke. He goes, oh, I love Drew. Yeah. I go, I know that. Yeah. He goes, he holds you in such high him, esteem yeah. that um, – you walk on water in his eyes. I don't know if you realize we, that. We had a lot of fun working together. We uh, there was a year where I was, there was a couple of years where I was a sales manager, and one of them he he was he was working for me, and he was a blast. You know, he he um, he thrives off that energy. Got a lot of work, got a lot of business done. Um, had Matt. I won't share last names also, but had Matt on that team. It was just a small team, but we killed it. It was really fun. Yeah, no, Eric. Really fun year. Eric was good, and uh, yeah. so I I felt real good because one thing I didn't want to do is I didn't want to leave my role with a, you know, a, a successor who I knew would be. And there's a certain culture 
in the Detroit office sure. that I really wanted to maintain. So I want to make sure the right guy was there. The guy was my manager really was hesitant to hire Eric. He wanted to hire someone else. I remember having a conversation with him because they still allowed me certain um, uh, certain responsibilities when I moved into this new role to continue over. And I remember talking to him one day. I said, Bob, why, why are you hesitating pulling the plug on Eric or, or, you know, pulling the trigger on Eric? And he gave me some really bad excuse. I said, you know what, that's bullshit, Bob. Just hire him. Here's why. The culture, the this, this, the fits. And he hired him. And to this day, you know, you. like I say, Eric's thankful, but, yeah. you know, he, he proved yeah. his own worth. I just recognized it. So, oh, for sure. So, yeah. But people uh, need those. People yeah. need those Steve, Steve chances. Steve right? patties and all that. So, you know yeah. what? Someone had told me, and I, I lear- found learned this comment farther down the road. Uh, but I, I called it lucky, and uh, this guy's named Scott, who was a Microsoft rep that I worked with. He said, "You're not lucky. You're it's you're just ready. You're prepared. It's like when preparedness meets opportunity." Mm-hmm. And you know, right. if you look at it, I go, I can look back throughout my career and out my life, Drew, and. You know, I, I've been prepared for things, and I've uh, when the opportunity has arisen, I've taken advantage of that opportunity. Maybe not taken advantage of, but you know, I've recognized the opportunity, I've recognized to prepare for it. I've been able and to then, walk through you that put door. The work in, right? Yeah. You know, you know, I had a good conversation with um, uh, Jeff. Uh, you probably know the the individual from uh, GM it was CIO there, um, and we were just talking. We were out at lunch and kind of reflecting on our careers and stuff and he was saying you know god if i had a chance to relive my life and my career a hundred times like you're able to just go through a computer simulation and go through all the variables maybe you take different paths different jobs here and there like where do you feel like your career in terms of its um would it be in the top quadrant of what you thought was possible or somewhere in the middle or do you think you could have shot higher or you, you know you what? Know, you it's, know what I mean by the question? <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one to answer because there's certain, certain pivots that happened, right. and, and the one pivot that was a, a real fork in the road for me was when I left the um, recent the um, computerized tax industry, Dynatax, yeah, and Dynatax and the successor to go to Robert Half. That was my fork in the road because that pivot I took. If I would never left. The TLS was a company I worked for that hired me after Dynatax died. They acquired um, Dynatax, and they hired me to be a branch manager. So I started fresh. I took a bunch of Dynatax clients, brought them over. had a really good year. Um, but that was what I got pissed because of a $10,000 salary uh, issue. And I kind of look back. That was my big pivot, true, because had I, had, I, had I not taken the Robert Half job, I look back and I go, that was a really dumb decision I made back then. I was 31, hot-headed, maybe too arrogant, too full of myself. So had I had I pivoted and stayed there and or gone to like ADP would have been the best complimentary uh, business for me to go to. My skills were so transferable. I knew the whole CPA right. community. You've done really well there. Could have went to ADP or Paychecks or Payroll One and, and knocked it out of the park. Or could have went into mortgage banking. Because CPAs, uh, a friend of mine was just work started his own company at Capital Mortgage. I don't know if you know, if you've seen Harry Glantz and Dan Dan Burke on TV. You know the uh, fast done pretty well, haven't fast they? food head jo- headset jockey guys. Harry and I have known each other since third grade. 
So okay. he started Capital Mortgage after working for Rock Financial. I could have went to Harry, and he would have hired me in a minute. Um, yeah. So it's true. It's it's hard to tell. So that was that was the big pivot, and I, I consider myself very fortunate to have kind of resurrected myself because uh, you know I floundered for like that. four years after and I land at corporate software and get into Microsoft and have the success that I had at Microsoft and be able to retire at sixty one. You know, I look at that, I go, that's an unbelievable comeback. You know, there are some people that don't resurrect or there's probably some people that are stuck in that trough at the moment. Like any, any lessons that you, that you'd share? Uh, I'd say it was perseverance, grinding, keep your eyes open, be open to new opportunities as they arise. And once again, it was, I had a a headhunter called me about the corporate software job out of the blue. And to this day, he would not tell me. He would not disclose how he got my name. I think he got my name from a, uh, a Dow uh, connection I had worked with with one of my jobs. Because okay. I got had a, I developed a good relation with this guy at Dow. And I, I think he's the one who gave me my uh, this recruiter's uh, my name. And um, kind of was like, what the hell? What is this all about? I was very open to it. And I thank God every day that I met Steve and then to Patty. And like I say, Drew was resurrection. I mean, I was happy to yeah. make, like at the time I was going, I'll be happy to make 80000 It was like, I blew that number away and then some. Um, but even at Microsoft, once you're in the door there, once you, you still had to prove yourself. And I, I proved it to myself. I go, oh, you know every what? year you have to. But even at corporate software, I said, yeah. I'm going to get into this. I took over a troubled territory, didn't know the industry at all, Dove in head first, got some great mentorship, developed some good relationships. I've been fortunate because I'm a, um, I consider myself a people person. I can talk to people. I think I'm very adaptable to people. I think you'd agree with that. My wife says because you could Definitely. talk to a wall and yep. have a conversation. Yep. And, you're you know, you're an extrovert. Yeah. No, and you know I get that from my mom. I think my mom was uh, very good at talking to me. She was very. My mom was very um, uh, um, insecure. But the one thing I think part okay. of her insecurity was she would talk to people. And uh, I've always carried myself to go, if you don't have confidence in yourself, how do you expect other people to have confidence in you? I think part of that was my education, my experience that my mom never had by going to college and having all those different experiences. Um, so that's my confidence comes Sounds like play. your mom was fun to talk to, though. Yeah, she drove me crazy at times, Drew. But, yeah, she, <laughs> she, she never, ever had a loss for words. So I, I kind of I guess I've inherited that trade yeah. she was my dad was the quiet one my mom was the outgoing one between the, in that in that relationship same in my family i i think to this day my mom is the best conversationalist i've ever met really and she she did a lot of listening but boy was it, it was just always a two-way conversation she was always super interested in the other person um humble i was awesome i miss talking to her all the time i i, I try to channel her when i have a real problem like what would she, what would advice would she give? Right, you know, it almost it would all you know, almost always kind of you know, get reflected back to me like to solve my own problem. But it was it was it was amazing. That's the dynamic. Um, so you said you're the youngest of your siblings. How many how many siblings yeah. do you have? I have five. five. There's well, there's a total of five. Wow. Of us, so yeah. I mean, I'm three, and I'm in between two girls. So the girls actually, my mom, I think, gravitated more to the girls because she was comfortable with sure. the girls, and she was an only child. And have a brother, so you know I didn't have that 
My mom was an only child. Oh, too. no kidding. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Did she grow up in Michigan or did she live out of state? No, my both my parents are from New Hampshire. So my, my dad came from five. He was the baby as well. And uh, yeah, they both came from New Hampshire. My my dad pop, bopped around for a lot of jobs. He was an engineer um, on the aerospace side. And, you know, it's funny because I feel like there's a parallel between my dad's generation that was in aerospace and my generation that was in computers they were growth industries but man these companies were churning some were successful some weren't and he finally got a job in automotive where there was good margins and he worked for general motors where the the, the company was doing great for most of his career um, but it took a long time he, he bounced from company to company to company and moving the family from out east to Detroit was a sacrifice but they ended up really really loving it here in Michigan see there's a difference my dad having worked at 44 years he'd look at me and goes why are you yeah. change your job so often <laughs> you know so that's when I resurrected myself he didn't have to well when I resurrected myself in state went to corporate software and we had a rep who left over a money dispute I said to her I go Pam bad move don't do it I go I've learned my lesson and she did it, uh-huh. and then she ended up bouncing around to multiple jobs since then. I'm glad you brought that back up because I, I wanted to chat about that a bit more too because there's, there's a couple of things I see with, with young people going on because I wouldn't mind transitioning a little bit to, to advice for young folks as well. Um, but I, I see there's a, there's a trend right now. There's a recent Wall Street art, Journal article where if young people aren't leaving companies and switching from job to job to job, they're not getting the the raises and the growth opportunities. It seems like in general that's true. Um, but it just takes sometimes one bad boss, right, or, or one bad role, and you can get yourself into one of these troughs. So I don't, I don't, I certainly don't want to give advice to young people to be afraid because if anything, you learn from every job, and if you're if you're great or if you're good and if you have this foundation of ethics and hard work like you have, cream rises to the top. But um, on the converse, I have, you know, some people, I'm thinking about my nephew right now that's been in the same role or the same company for a long time that's been through a rocket ship ride and he's not getting his share of the compensation and the rewards because he hasn't moved around. And um, just kind of curious for your thoughts about that dynamic. Maybe you've, maybe you've seen some of that as well with um, uh, young people that you're connected with. But, but also just your, your thoughts about, you know, you talked about leaving for that $10,000 was a mistake. Um, when the perspective of, hey, this is a growth company right in my industry, you know, high margins, there's there's all sorts of other variables in there. I I didn't ask a very clear question, but I, I think you can take it from here. What, yeah, share some of your thoughts, well, please. Well, you know what? I, the one lesson I took away from that, first of all, I left for the wrong reason. Money should never be the factor to leave. Okay. If I was going from like, if I left to go from, you know, TLS at the time to ADP, that would have been one thing. But I went to, you know, headhunting. That was a stupid move. I really didn't think that went out clearly, and it cost me. And... Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I have a, a good friend of mine whose son works for a PwC right now. No, no, KPMG. KPMG. Okay. And he's got a girl. He lives, he's got a job here. And he's a real smart kid, Michigan State kid, CPA, MBA. And uh, his girlfriend lives in London. 
and he has a chance. He wants to move to London to be with her for a short term, and he was going to go work for PwC. They offered him a job, and then KPMG offered him uh, a considerable. They offered him an opportunity to move there, less money than KP than PwC, and and Bill, his name's Bill, his son's name is Jason. I said to Bill, I go tell Jason to stay at KPMG, even though PwC is offering him more money. The fact that KPMG knows who he is, gives right. him opportunity to go there, will give him opportunity to come back. He goes to PwC. He's got no, they don't know who he is. He's got no uh, um, credibility built up internally. And I think what happens is that credibility you build up internally uh, is often overlooked by, you know, that employee. Now, now loyalty is a two-way street. You've seen companies who will cut, you know, co- cut people off in a minute. But my advice to, to younger folk, and I've got a, a nephew who works for Moody's right now. He was working for a, uh, a real estate investment firm, and they let him go. And then he got a job with Moody's. And I said to him, I go, I go Kyle, stay at Moody's as long as you can. It's a great company, great stock. Get into the stock, do the 401k, build wealth. When you get in with a good company, stable, that you know isn't going anywhere, his brother works for Marathon in Finley told them the same thing i go you guys stay there marathon is a great yeah and if you're in finley working for marathon it's like in midland working for dow or whatever but um as long as they're treating you right and i go don't make it about the money make it about the intrinsic value of what the job is doing and unless some other company comes and blows you away with an offer that it gives you more opportunity Um, even my daughter she took a job not getting paid a lot uh, but I said, don't worry about the money. The money will come if you like what you're doing. And It's funny. I said the same thing to my son. You know, he, he's not making a lot right now, but he's learning. He's got a great boss who's really got his back. That's important. I don't, I don't know if you can beat that. You know what? I mean, go back to At my, the moment. Going back to my Microsoft career, when I left the business desk, I left it. The other yeah. reason I left it is, you know, the guys weren't watching my back, but my boss in particular. And he even said at one of my reviews, he goes, I think it's time you move on and take a different role somewhere else. I go, you know what, Lewis? I think you're right, and I, I'm going to go do that. But That was being a good boss at that moment, though. <laughs> so I That's hated him. a jerky I, thing or dicky thing to say, but at least he came out and said it. Yeah, he was, he was a – I didn't like the guy anyway. So, But yeah. I ended up having a bad job, and then I got into one of the best jobs I had with MS Financing, and one of the best managers I ever had. Uh, he ha- happened to do a – present to the team I was on I called him the next day I said Peter Peter are you hiring he goes this spring yeah why I go because you're gonna hire me he goes why are you gonna <laughs> why am I gonna hire you and I told him why he goes well you know when uh once again opportunity meet preparedness meets opportunity and I took advantage of that this time he goes well you know for next fiscal year I'm definitely bringing out some heads he goes I'll let you know when um you know when I open it up he did we had an interview it boiled down to me and one of uh, a sales reps in in the area, Peter was was deciding between two of us. He called Patty, said, "Patty, between these two, who would you hire?" You know what Patty said, right? You know she goes, "Hire right. Joel; he's a rock star." So uh, I came on MS Financing, had five great years there until 2010 hit. When you know you know what happened in 2010 when the financial markets collapsed. Sure. I thought sure. MS Financing was going to go away. I walk into Patty's office one day because she was Eric had just left and some other LS had left. And Eric told me she's looking to hire. I said, Patty, you're looking to hire someone? She goes, why, are you interested? I said, maybe. 
jumped out of her chair and jumped out of her chair, grabbed me by my shirt collar, put me nose to nose to her face. She said, if you say yes, the job is yours. That was my interview. I said, Patty, let me think about it. Came back from lunch. Fit called me. He goes, he goes, hey, Patty told me you're joining her team. How, went, how did you possibly say no to Patty at that well, moment? And then, but then Fit calls me like an hour later and said, Patty told me you're joining the team. Can you start tomorrow? It's like, John, I just talked to her an I hour ago. Well, the rest is history. I spent my last 10 years working in that role. What do they call that? The presumptive close? Uh, you know what? I think that's, that's I'll go the name back. Of it. it was for, my fortunate. You know, I've had some very. You know, I consider myself fortunate. Uh, one thing about Microsoft, I always felt I could have moved into a management level. I didn't want to deal with the management. But, you know, one regret I had, what did I did I not take full advantage of my opportunities at Microsoft to kind of climb the ladder? You know, did I get too complacent in my role? But I think I was really good at what I did, and I liked what I did, and I liked the people I was working with. So I liked doing the deals. I liked the customers. I liked the teams. I liked the management. I liked, you know, so there's a lot of positives to what I was doing. And um, so those kind yeah, of outweigh the regrets. You know, good yeah. managers too, Drew, and that was the point. Peter was great, great manager, great mentor. We're friends to this day. He's retired and living in Hilton Head. Patty, to this day, you know, I think she's one of the most wonderful people that I've ever met in my she's life. She's incredible. Yeah, she's she is just. Uh, there's a special place in my heart for beautiful her. Beautiful person. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know, it's a mutual admiration. Cause she's told me many times, you know, that I made her as much as she made me, and uh, I kind of tip the scales in her favor because I'm not sure what I did for her, but um, you know, you know, it's really cool when you have somebody that powerful and skilled that is humble and shares the glory like that oh yeah because she, she told incredible. me drew she told me many times she goes you're my go-to yeah. guy you know if it wasn't for you i wouldn't know what to do i asked you for advice all the time and you helped me clear you know see things clear you know it was i felt she was sincere in saying that maybe she wasn't but i felt she was sincere in saying that because patty wasn't the kind of person uh I mean, she didn't Say it if she didn't mean it. She suffers no bull. Yeah, right. You know, Compliments so, are real. Yeah. Take those. So you know, if you're, and that's like I said, I was fortunate. So I try to, you know, when you say what to tell the younger people, you know, who you work for is very important. You want to work for someone who recognizes what you do, and you want to you want to walk through a wall for that person. That's the kind of guy Fick was. I think right. he he Fick was like that. Patty was like that. Alan was like that. You were like that. You set work by example because you don't work any harder than what you ask the people underneath you to do and um, that makes people want to walk through walls for you and it kind of you know I always thought in my mind I go I can't say no because how am I going to explain this to Patty you know how am I going to explain this to Fick my, my litmus test was can I can I if I was going to hold firm on a, on a justification can I justify this to Steve Ballmer was always my litmus test and I went downhill I go if I'm holding firm on this even though someone doesn't like it, can I justify this to Patty? Can I justify it to Fick? And maybe they'd give me a different perspective and I could, you know, I was always open to uh, changing my mind. I wasn't set, I wasn't that foolish to say, no, no, it's this way or no way. But, yeah, fixed mindset, right? Yeah, but I had, once again, my mindset was do the right thing for Microsoft's benefit. That's who we're protecting. We're shareholders of Microsoft. Right. When I had guys saying, oh, we got to give this away because, because why? Because it's going to meet my quota numbers. I go, that's not a good enough reason. You know, that's bullshit, right? right? So, and I think I have it a lot. It depended like on a lot of, on a lot of things. There's this, there's a story I, 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 you know, um, 
there was this one time when I was a, a sales rep, right? And it was during the B pause days. And it was a growth business. We didn't have many customers. There's maybe 12 of them somewhere in that range. There was none in the district. And I just remember calling the equivalent of the business desk and he would go through um, COGS, cost of goods sold. He had some sort of number of what it actually cost to run the service. Okay. I was trying to work out a deal. It was 10 o'clock at night, and it was late for him. He was West Coast. And I remember him got on, he got on the phone. I was able to get his time, and he had just gotten off on another deal. He didn't know me that well. We started talking about the background of the deal and who I was working with, and he said, okay, let's see what we can do to get this done. And I, I just shut up and let him click and clack. And he was just working to help me make this thing work. I could, I could feel it right from his intent. And, you know, most of my career, I spent, like, basically helping other people on on sales teams or customers. And I just tried as often as I could to keep that, that message in my mind, which was, okay, let's see what we can do to make this work. And, I, w- um, I would tell new hires, yeah. Drew, and I didn't do this for to be self-serving. Maybe I did a little bit. But I would say the two people in this team. It was the way Microsoft was set up in the sales cycle. It was a little strange, but I always felt that my role was the the hub of the sales cycle in a wheel. You know, so every deal mm-hmm. I was I was basically the center of it in terms of setting strategy, Absolutely. pricing, you know, and, and that and you know, being a, a creative consultative uh, support system. So I would tell any new rep, I said two guys the two roles, not guys, the two roles that you want to become best friends with are your licensing specialist and your licensed executive, because they can make it or break it for you. I go, I'm not saying that in a mean-spirited way, but your LS and LE to know that you have, you're willing to work with them, and you treat them with respect and dignity. I mean, these are hard jobs that we have. So so for for people that don't know the lingo as well, like a, a licensing specialist, licensing executives are basically like a business desk it's the internal approval side on a deal so you had to get obviously approval from your customer for a commercial transaction to go through but you also had to get internal approval from the corporation on the terms of the deal and um, the internal sale was often as complex or more complex even though you had a lot more relationships probably in some ways than the uh, the external deal. So I was, and, uh, uh, yeah, and yeah. I said I was kind of trying try to keep a lot of that internal stuff transparent from the teams. But to this day, you know, I'll, I'll, people ask me what they what I did. And I said, yeah, I was the deal maker, and my reps either hated me or loved me. And I, I think I had more that loved me than hated me. But, uh, you know, some of these you guys. You didn't have some on the other aisle. You weren't doing your job. Uh, you know, I hate to look at it like that, but, you know, I, I kind of look at it, I go, I, held, I also had litmus tests to go, hey, would I do this for Andy at GM? Would I do this for Ray at Ford? You know, those were my, would I do this for, when you had Chrysler, Drew at Chrysler? These were our biggest, best customers. So if I wouldn't agree to something for our biggest, best customers, why would I agree to something for our smaller, less better customers and it was like well well, we have to do it for this guy because he'll be upset that's not a good enough justification you know i butted heads you know i didn't try to butt heads but there are some reps who are very stubborn and didn't look and looked at it only in their best self in their own only in their self-serving terms true and their self-serving terms were, were sometimes in conflict with the corporate goals 
and was only looking at did, how they could did you, how, how did you maybe switching channels a little bit how did you handle some of the stress of that conflict did that did that stick with you to keep you up thinking at night was was that a problem for you <laughs> something that you managed like in terms of maybe some of your decisions to retire like did you do you I, I, I'll, I'm asking a long question again, but you know, sometimes you're you're rested and you're patient and you can logically explain stuff to folks in a day, and then sometimes you're so worn down by either the end of the quarter or the end of the year or this or that, where it gets difficult. I, I would imagine to maintain the balance you want. Did, did that affect you? Did that change over your career? Oh, it at did. All? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I got softer yeah. over time. I got worn down, Drew. Okay. You know, some <laughs> reps wore me down more than others. Um, some never saw the light of day, you know. Uh, you're and, like a parent with 20 kids. Yeah, it was. It was. At some point, you know? it's like, ah, just take the citation to Florida. Go ahead. You know, there's always guys threatening, well, if you don't do it, I'm going to take it to Patty. I go, take it to Patty. Here's her number. Call her. Yeah. You know her. You know, it's like, well, what do you mean? I go, I'm done fighting, you know, and and not only was the fighting with the reps, the fighting was with the customer, and it, and it, it did play a role in my decision to retire because I, I got very ill uh, late in my career, um, yeah, right after a reorg, and uh, the reorg basically put me out of the manufacturing role, and for some reason, our new GM, uh, Tracy, and her, her henchwoman, Liz, I don't know what it is, but, you know, they felt that our team was not willing to work with others. And they called us out on a team meeting, on a, on a corporate yeah. meeting one time. And there was a, kid, a guy named Matt who, who basically supported that. And on our next team call, uh, Liz said something. I called her out on the carpet. I said, how dare you? You don't know what we do. How dare you take that stance against us? I go, I'm offended, and I'm speaking on behalf of the team. I was pissed. And then I remember yeah. seeing Matt at a team. I go, Matt, you owe Bob an apology. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, you specifically said on this call that the business desk won't work with you. And I go, I can't tell you how many deals Bob has done for you. He's made your career. He goes, I didn't say that. I go, I'll play the tape, Matt. You said that. And then I ended up getting sick with my Crohn's, took four months off. Um, you know, I was reordered to support 118 accounts. I felt that was a slap in the face. Once again, yeah. Patty rescued me, brought her on the healthcare team, brought me on the healthcare team. I had 20 clients. I was working with Liz, who I knew from my reseller days. She was my manager that I worked, supported. It's a perfect setup. I came back after four months uh, of stress-free. And what I had done, one of my visiting nurses said, what you had done is equivalent of losing an arm or a leg. I kind of disagreed with that thoughts, but someone actually mm. thought that. So it was pretty traumatic. And it was In like, terms of the stress on your body. Stress on my body and my mind, my yeah. physical psych and all that. And um, when I came back, it felt like the, um, the uh, air had been let out of the balloon because I didn't have that passion to fight like I had. And this was in right. early 2018, and I came did right you back. you feel at all that the stress you carried through your career contributed to something? I do. That, that I do. Problems? I think, I think the do. stress that I had at, at Microsoft and the constant deals and the juggling, you know, and I felt I handled that real well. The job, I think it just caught up with me. and just all of a sudden, all at once, just annihilated me. Hell yes. <laughs> and uh, like I said, I came back, and the air was out of my balloon. I lost my passion. I remember before I went on disability, I told Patty, you're getting 40% of me. 
I got, I got to take time off. And to her credit, she goes, well, 40% of you is better than 100% of others. I go, whatever. I go, thank you. But, you know, I think she was trying to make me feel good. I was so sick that there's nothing that anyone could have said that would have kept me from taking time off. And, and, I, and this is before I knew I had to have surgery. But when I came back, Drew, I lost passion. And for the last year and a half, I just struggled. I got through what I needed to get through. But I would take the stuff that I used to, you know, really uh, fight for and really get all out of, bent out of shape for, bent out of shape and, you know, in a good way, shape, yeah, or form. I understand. Yeah. And I just go, okay, that's how we're going to do it. That's how we're going to do it. I'm not going to fight. Okay. And so you, I, so when you I kind of s- knew that it was your time then. Oh, you, you know what? When your passion, when, and I, Patty and I had talks, I had talks with the reps. Everyone knew I was, I, I was very clear with Liz. Liz retired and then her manager replaced her, Jill. I came in, I met her. I go, you know, you'll get to know me, but it's only going to be a short term, Jill. I'm telling you, because I'm done yeah. in September. I met her in January. Okay. She goes, what do you mean? And I, and I just saw it. And I, and I, I you know, it's worked out the numbers. I knew where my numbers were at. I've always been a numbers guy because of my accounting background. And um, I, I felt if I couldn't do it 100% and give it all, I, it just, it, I would have been um, doing a disservice to my team, to my company, to my clients, to everybody. And that's when I knew I had okay. to leave. Um, so, so it was. So when when did you retire? Re- How many years ago was I that retired in October of 2019, which is okay. three years ago uh, oh, in two weeks. Years. So it's been three years, and I don't regret. I don't look <laughs> back at all. You know my. Your timing was right. Well, yeah, my ready. timing was good. Excuse me, I still have my health issue, but it's under control. I don't get okay. stressed out. I'm not getting. I have Crohn's, so Crohn's. Well, you got flare-ups. Excuse me, flare-ups. It's a, it's a, it's an autoimmune issue, so you have issues with your um, your stomach and all that. And um, I do things that what when I what I want to do, and when I want to do it. I, I you. um, you've earned it. Yeah, no, thank yeah. you. But you know, I I look back at my times at at Microsoft, at corporate software, at Dynatax, uh, in the accounting industry. I look back very favorably, very happy with my accomplishments. Yeah, you know, I won a couple sales reps of the year. I didn't mention that at Dynatex. Yeah. Corporate software, I won a couple I was awarded. Uh, at um, When I was doing MS Financing, uh, I won several awards as well. So I've gotten some good accolades. Um, you know, one thing I've never done is I probably have not been a good self-promoter of my own success, but I kind of let my word, my, my other, actions other speak. Other people have done that, right, yeah. That worked out well. You know, um, so... I feel good about what I accomplished. Um, you know, I made good money. I'm, I'm able to fund my own retirement, and I'm comfortable with what I'm doing. Can do what I want, what I want, and um, you know, that's where the that's where the perseverance comes in. The loyalty comes in. Uh, I think, fortunately, it you know the integrity comes in. I think, fortunately, those kind of um, uh, uh, values that I've yeah, subscribed to. You can look to. back with pride. You yeah, can thank really you. Look back with pride. Yeah, those, yeah. those values. Is I've, there? Is there? What are, what are the things you miss most about work? The people. Uh, I, I can say that. You know, interactions yeah. with the people, not only my my peers, but my clients. Uh, solving problems was a, uh, is what I miss because I was a problem solver throughout my career. And uh, I do miss that. Uh, and, and the money. But, uh, you know, the money is not as important as the people 
and the problem solving. Uh, well, I mean, you, you said in an earlier conversation from October 2019, you have more money since retiring. Than, yeah, my net worth has increased you know, almost 50% in that time. So uh, I don't know so, what the market's doing today, but, you know, if it's up, it's up. But um, You're doing all right. Good for you. You know, it's interesting. I have a, a buddy who um, self, self-employed his whole life. His dad owned a, uh, a real good uh, uh, business in the recreation industry, and he took it, made it better, and then he got into uh, a fast food franchise. And okay. uh, he, he took a lot of risk, put some money in, but he, a lot of hard work, sweat, and he employed over 800 people at one point in time. And he sold wow. out for a lot of money last fall. Okay, he's worth, okay. you know, not, not he's worth, you know, upwards of uh, $25 million, okay? And he and I, you know, we've been friends our, since, you know, junior high. So we've been friends for a long time. And uh, I shared with him what, where my net worth was at. He goes, you're kidding because you, you're that, you know, and it's it's decent. It's not where he's at, but it's decent. And he goes, considering you never owned your own business or had yeah, to manage other people. He goes, that's that's pretty impressive. He goes, I'm impressed. He goes, good for you. You know, we root for each other. And that's the other thing, too, Drew, that, you know, can't be overlooked. Um, you always got to root for your friends to succeed. No matter what, yeah. root for your friends to succeed, root for your peers to succeed. If you root for their failures... You're not a friend. And, and no. I, I, I've kind of tried to stay away from people who don't root for my success. People who want to see me fail are not people I want to hang with. Okay. And I, I think that's an important you know, distinction. That, that, that is, God, that's such an important point. I think um, really been reflecting on this this point. This, this Again, this is a Charlie Munger where he, he really focuses on envy. As you know, it's obviously a biblical uh, theme as yeah. well. But yeah, seven's one that, of the seven sins, right? Yeah. Yes, it's not. Um, it's not greed that runs the world, but it's envy. And you know, I, I think I'm pretty damn near envy free, but I'm not. Well, um, you're always gonna be envious. You know, you wish you had things you don't have, but to to take it to I, an extent, I, that... I guess to some degree, yeah. Where you where you wish you know poorly for somebody else, it's a friend. It is really gross. It does really bother me. Well, there's yeah. my buddy I just shared with you. I mean, I heard other guys saying, oh, look at him. He's a show-off. He yeah. bought a Bentley. Oh, you know, it's like, I go, good for him. Let you him know what? enjoy himself. Let him enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Car. It's like, you know, he bought his wife a Jaguar. I go, Michael, why, why'd you do that? He goes, because I could. I go, well, good for you. Like, I want a ride in it. He goes, you'll get a ride in it. You know, and it's like, once again, you know, I, I kind of think that everything, I've been fortunate, uh, I've had good things happen, I've had bad things happen, I've had more good things. And I think the reason I've had more good things is because uh, the, the way I've I've been able to carry myself. I, I, I don't know whether it's karma or not, I kind of believe in that a little bit, but uh, my cousin always says, oh, you're so lucky. I go, well, I work hard. The harder I work, the luckier I get. And um, But I think it's important to try to keep a good impression and a, and a positive mindset and ability to see success not only in yourself but in others and I would hate to succeed at the expense of someone else's failure I don't I don't I don't, I don't right. feel good about that Drew and that's where you know a lot of that too wore me down at Microsoft because you know I was accused well if we win this deal then I'm going to lose my quota and it's like don't put that on me dude <laughs> you know I'm not right. and I would tell people that I go, that's not my fault don't don't tell me right. that it's up to me to make your quota because 
Not one deal is going to make your quota. If, it's, if you're relying on one deal, then you plan wrong. And your failure to plan is not my, <laughs> it's not my problem to solve, right. okay? Um, and I'd have to have those tough conversations. I'd go, you know, I'd get off the phone. I'd be, you know what, that's, that's BS. So, um, but yeah, going to retirement, I don't regret it. And, you know, people have said to me, oh, you're going to retire. You're too young to retire. What are you going to do? How are you going to, how are you going to spend your time? And I wasn't worried about that. You know, I had a friend say, right. hey, you know, learn a, learn, a, learn a language. Learn how to play an instrument. Take a cooking class. So I always had a... Uh, Live your life with less stress. I mean, if you have enough finances to take care of your lifestyle and your needs, um, uh, why trade, um, you know, wear and tear on your body and mind for extra money that you're never going to use probably? Yeah, and why I had a it? couple ideas when I retired. You know, I was thinking I'm good at finances. I want to try this, you know, to help people uh, learn financing. I had an idea. Um you know, I was taking this friend. I wanted. I feel my voice is good for radio. My face matches that to do voiceover work. <laughs> uh, I've been told that, and um, so I looked into that. Not true at all. Um, about the voice or the face, but um, I'm not going to let you answer that. So um, the face, come on. But, but I, but I also been involved in a couple nonprofits, and um, you know, a couple things. You know, I, I volunteered to do a right after I retired. I volunteered to get involved in a, a couple of meetings with one nonprofit in particular, and, and that morphed into a real good opportunity for me in the long run. Um, and it's not that I have to fill, fill a void with time, but it's given me a. Um, you figured a, your way. To yeah, it. it's given me a lot of fun. You're so. figuring. I do want to save this, I think, for our next conversation. Though. And that's fair. That's you why know, I'm we're, not. We're about an hour and a half yeah. into it. Why, yeah. don't, why don't we plan on pausing here? It was really fun. Did you learn some? You probably learned some things you never knew about me, huh? Or, or what? I did for sure. Um, you know, I have to reflect on some of my favorites, but for sure, there's so many themes. You know, the importance of integrity, right? The resurrection moment for you. Um, that decision for 10 grand but you're also i see in you like this you know when something's going to hit it whether you talked about the vitamin business or the dying attacks or you just kind of you know like the some businesses are just going to go it's instinctual for you and then you put your, the work into it and the shrewdness the cream rises to the top the other thing that i'm really glad you brought in was this whole story of somebody giving you a break and 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 just the individual stories about Patty. I love the one where she grabbed you by the shirt collars and pulled you in. I don't know how you said no to her there. She's so adorable. But um, that, by the way, Drew. I love that story, and then the Eric story, and and because I think some of the warmest moments of my career is thinking about the people I've helped bring up. I love that. Yeah, you know what? It's yeah. very satisfying. I think that's as good a spot to finish this podcast as any. Thanks again, Joel, for sharing your story. Uh, it was a real pleasure and an honor. Cheers, everyone.